Hi everyone, I'm your host, Jaco Selka, and you are listening to Hopefully Sustainable. Each week, I'm going to talk to extraordinary people who are doing extraordinary things to make the world a more sustainable place. My goal is for this episode to leave you feeling hopeful about an idea, a person, or the world in general. Thank you for joining me in this conversation, and all together we can be hopefully sustainable. Hello, everybody. I hope that you are having a great week so far, and I really appreciate you joining me for another episode of Hopefully Sustainable. As a quick reminder before we get into this week's episode, if you are on Instagram, don't forget to follow along with the podcast at Hopefully Sustainable Pod. Each week, I post content related to that week's episode and highlight the incredible work that each of the guests are doing to contribute to a more sustainable world. Also, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, don't forget to rate and review the show. I love hearing from you guys, and it's such a great way to help out the podcast. For this week's episode, I had so much fun recording, and I'm really excited to share it with you all. We are joined by Megan Mercedes-Benz and Sean D'Angelo Walton of Everybody Eats. Everybody Eats is working to build a Black-owned and operated food system to end food scarcity in African-American communities, starting with Ashview Heights, which is a very special neighborhood right outside of Atlanta that you're going to learn all about throughout this week's episode. As a result of the pandemic, many families across America and across the world have had to worry about how they are going to feed their families, and Everybody Eats has stepped up in a huge way to feed the people of Ashview Heights. They are working towards establishing a food hub so that in future times of crisis, food does not have to be something that the people have to worry about. Today's episode was so fun, we shared a lot of laughs And there are some great rhymes brought to you by Sean, and it was honestly just really inspiring to learn about the work that they are doing in a neighborhood so close to my own home. In a world that can feel so divided at times, food is one thing that truly unites us because in the end, everybody eats. Enjoy the show. Today, I am joined by two members of Everybody Eats together, and I'm super excited to learn all about this incredible organization that is in my own community of Atlanta, Georgia. So Megan and Sean, if you both could introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your backgrounds and how you got involved with Everybody Eats together. All right. Yeah, my name is Sean D'Angelo Walton, and I am... uh, I guess the visionary founder of Everybody Eats and Everybody Eats kind of came together as a capstone project for an urban agricultural plan for food access um, and Ashley Heights that has been kind of been a goal of the communities to turn what used to be a food desert into a food oasis. and um, it's just been a project that, again, the community has worked on for the last couple of years um, and capping in a point where we have the opportunity to purchase a building um, and legit have a food system from uh, from seed to a store um, in the community. 
And um, yeah, that's, I guess, how I got involved is just being akin to the rich his, agricultural history and the and and what the community has been working for for such a long time. It's a historic community. We can get into that a little later. Uh, but um, yeah, I got involved just by wanting to see people have access to fresh local produce and um, understanding the need for localities inside of them of um, access. Yeah. You're not going to tell them where you're from? From Atlanta. <laughs> born and raised. I'm from Atlanta, born and raised, um, and it's where I get my ways. Um, I am Megan Mercedes-Benz. I am a Georgia and Atlanta native. I'm from the east side of Atlanta. Um, I have always had a passion for food, but really couldn't find the language for it until graduate school, actually. Jaco, when I was interning at um, the Office of Sustainability and working with the farmer's market, I could pinpoint my feelings um, towards the lack of adequate and healthier foods in historically lower income communities, which um, are typically black and brown communities. So when I was working at the farmer's market, I was responsible for spreading the word to black and brown communities about SNAP benefits and doubling their SNAP benefits. And so during that time is when I really found a love for food, healthier foods, and creating immediate access to those foods um, for people you know, who look like me, if we could be completely honest. Um, I started working with Everybody Eats in January of 2019. Um, I was working with Sean in 2018. Um, and then, you know, he began to see my work and my passion for food sovereignty and food security. And he was telling me about his vision that, like he mentioned, started about 10 years ago, creating a um, urban food oasis. And I was like, huh, this is pretty good. So let, how can I, you know, be involved? So it's um, pretty much hit the ground running from there. Um, I think I'm doing a pretty good job. I'm still here. Uh, but yeah, so I really enjoy the work that I do with Everybody Eats. Um, I have the honor of being responsible for the market stand. So really greeting our neighbors here in Ashby Heights and allowing them to shop for themselves, um, whatever is on the table, because it's always free of charge to them. Well, you've mentioned a few different aspects of Everybody Eats, but I would love to hear what the full mission or the full vision for Everybody Eats is. Absolutely. Um, it is a, um, a food... A uh, collective, a uh, food industry collective, and partnership uh, between farmers, between food access oriented nonprofits, and community members who have invested themselves not only in mission to create food access, but also in the financial, um, you know, uh, aspect of creating a food system. Um, people who have literally bought into um, from the community and com organizations that are around here. So again, it's a collective of organizations of community members who have bought into um, both uh, spiritually and financially into the creation of a food system. And uh, food access for everybody, you know, while 
I don't downplay the um, historic nature of what it is that we're doing. But I think from a small scale perspective, because I'm a small town little boy, um, it's really about, especially during these times, making sure that everybody eats. It's really that simple. Um, we have communities, we have um, social media networks, we have email networks, we have all these networks, but we can't forget about our network of neighbors. Um, mm. And when we're in small communities such as Ashley Heights, you get a real opportunity to knock on each door. And I think we should really get to practice practicing that. I mean, Uber East is doing a really good job. Um, you know, um, DoorDash is doing a really good job of just knocking on your door. I think we should just make sure that we're knocking on doors and making sure that everybody has something to eat. And if we can figure it out how to do it in one little small community, maybe we can figure it out in two small communities. And overall, um, allow the participation in that, create that um, shortened locality in the food um, chain. Um, but again, just making sure that everybody's eating. And I think, especially with all of the contention that's been going on lately, um, I think it's because a lot of people have been hungry too. Mm -hmm. um, that's why maybe some of the, um, the riots and the rallies have been way more explosive. I would dare correlate it to the lack of food that's going around um, to people. Um, I mean, it's just like a chart. If it was a stock chart, it would be like two spikes at the same time. Hunger mm -hmm. and anger. Hanger. <laughs> yeah. If only everyone could see Megan's face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sean, as one of the, or the original visionary behind Everybody Eats, what was the original inspiration or what led you to take that next step of creating this organization? It all started when Publix left the ghetto. <laughs> and in 2012, um, I believe the community was still in too much or they weren't making enough money. So they up and jumped ship. And um, that lack of food access left the community to be a food desert and that's the talk that had been around town but more than that the talk had been really just about um youth and their engagement in the community so it was an opportunity to reintroduce people into urban agriculture um in the localities of food and also reintroduce youth to outside activities such as farming. Um, so we had the opportunity to do both of those. Um, but again, because of the absence of a food distribution source, such as the public leaving the, uh, the, the brown community, the black and brown community, um, it did give an extra push towards an urban, agro, urban agricultural uh, movement over here in Southwest Atlanta. And I also would like to mention that this kind of movement started at the, uh, the, the, the pushing, the leaving of a store, but you have even now stores closing 
um, or up and leaving communities even now because they don't want to pay hero pay or because whatever the case it may be. But you you have again in this moment, which kind of just lends itself to the importance of having your own local food systems and sources, just not for this community, but for all communities, because grocery store chains will leave. For all of the listeners, can you tell us more about Ashview Heights and why this specific neighborhood in Atlanta has become the main hub? So Ashview Heights is extremely special to us and to the city of Atlanta because it is Atlanta's first planned African-American community. It was established in 1920. So last year, in the midst of all the cra uh, craziness and chaos, <laughs> Ashby Heights celebrated its 100 year anniversary. Wow. So the people can hear. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that is absolutely why it is important. It has such heavy and rich significance. And that's also another reason why we want to, quote unquote, put Ashtree Heights on the map, because it um, it's a generational gift from our ancestors 100 years ago. And so we're doing this work to be a generational gift or a contribution to those um, who are coming up behind us. But yes, that's why Ashtree Heights is um, important. And it's literally maybe a mile, if that. Um, away from the AUC Center, so the Atlanta University Center, where there's Clark Atlanta, ITC, uh, Morehouse College, Spelman, and even Morris Brown. Um, so it, it leads to such dynamic and influential and impactful educational institutions. And it's also the home of two Black-owned uh, farms. I know you mentioned that Ashview Heights and surrounding communities are considered to be a food desert. For anyone who's unfamiliar with that term, can you talk about what a food desert is and the impacts of living in a food desert on the community members? Yeah, absolutely. Um, food deserts are usually defined by communities not within a mile radius of a um food access note or major food access note, such as a Kroger or a grocery store. Um, you may still have um, your corner stores, your gas stations, um, but again, not a full-on grocery store. And um, the impact that that has just limits your ability to have nutrient-rich food that often plays a key part in people's health um, the health care throughout the years, um, the type of um, illnesses or diseases that they may capture throughout their lifetime. Um, again, a lot of those things are not necessarily hereditary, but dietary. And when you have or have a lack of access to those nutrient-rich foods, um, you are, again, more susceptible to be subject to those type of um, health issues. Um, and again, in education, um, again, those type of nutrient rich foods are the key, like cornerstones to learning, building blocks to learning what people take in or whatever. So um, given what a child may have access to can significantly determine like how nourished they are going to school, mm -hmm. uh, how they take in the information 
um, and other, you know, specific things like that. And so again, just making sure that people have access to the nutrient rich food not only affects, uh, you know, your community's health, but again, just like the developmental health and trajectory of youth. Um, so yeah, let's get a couple of farms in the community in our in a grocery store um, that we can assure that our children have a fighting chance at least by way of the food that they're going to be taking into their bodies. I think one of the really interesting and unique aspects of Everybody Eats is the buy-in from the community and how connected the mission is with the actual community members rather than some outside organization coming into the community who doesn't even know the history of the community or has no relationship to the people in the community. And I was recently reading a part of Leah Penniman's book, Farming While Black. And there's a quote in there that I thought really reminded me of your organization that is by Malcolm X. And it says, revolution is based on land. Land is the basis of all independence. Land is the basis of freedom, justice, and equality. I know you all mentioned that you are trying to buy the block. So can you talk about the importance of actually owning and operating this food system that you're wanting to build? You got to think about it. Why is it even necessary for us to distinct or make the distinction of Black-owned and operated food system? Um, I would dare to say, and this is to no slight of, um, you know, other people who have control or access points to the food systems, but 99% of every dollar that deals with food in our community probably goes to someone other than uh, the African-American that's consuming um, that product or that piece of cabbage or that lettuce or whatever the case it may be. And so when you have 99% of your food system in someone else's hand, I think that's just naturally a, um, a disadvantage of a place to be, at least when you get hungry. Just, just, just at, at, at a basic level, you have to go to someone else 99.9% .9 of the time mm -hmm. for your food. I don't think that's- you have to really, Essentially you're relying on someone yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, for your nourishment. Mm -hmm. you know, you gotta kinda, uh, you gotta kinda get towards that. And then, um, you know, We Cycle Atlanta, which is my nonprofit that kind of put the foot in the ground on the boots on the ground when it came to urban farming, when we kind of reestablished the Ashtree Community Garden in uh, 2011, 12. Um, that garden that was providing nutrient rich foods for people during that food desert time was bought and uprooted by the Beltline. Mm. And so that was a hardcore lesson. And if you don't own the land, you really ain't got no say in what's going on and even though that community garden was in that community since 1995 before the belt line was a blip in the eye um, it had to go and so even though we were growing food that we were distributing we didn't have the land and that was a hard lesson and a slow domino effect a beautiful 
um, progressive snowball effect up until we rolled up on this corner to this day um, with the opportunity to purchase land that will allow us to continue our gardening and continue our mission when it comes to assuring that we're not closed in the height of a riot when our people are hurting. Uh, we're not closed in a height of a pandemic when our people are unemployed. Um, but we're working with the farmers and we're working with the community members to make sure that our education does not stick, skip a beat, our children and, and their need for nourishment does not skip a beat, and that we still have the same access to life, at least through food, um, through any time. You mentioned being able to provide food for everyone during the horrible situation that we're all going through with the pandemic. How has COVID-19 impacted Everybody Eats and the work that you're trying to do? I'd say it's been an actually extremely positive impact um, and not negative at all. Funny story, Everybody Eats essentially was going to be a food coordinating venture that sold CSAs. We're still a food coordinating venture, but then COVID hit and it's like, hmm, we're gonna take your plan and kind of, you know, reroute it elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And so like, okay, we're gonna get on the corner, feed our people. Um, I wanna say one of the first days we were out there, there was a, a neighbor who said, um, y'all the first ones to come out here. And so it's, it's really sad that you are in a city such as Atlanta, um, miles away from the Capitol, you know, and City Hall, and you, you're not getting these truckloads full of food that every other neighborhood is getting or receiving. Um, so for it to be a couple of young folks um, <laughs> with their ear to the street say, hey, we need to feed our people. And so we got out there with lemons and blackberries. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we uh sean recruited some of the youth from the neighborhood it was four girls and uh them and i were just at the table um they were having the ball so we kind of let them do their thing they came up with this really uh cool slogan like you know we have lemons and blackberries be covid free um yes. it was it was cute but yeah so that's that's how it started and we've really been uphill from there yeah. So the impact has been outstanding. Yeah, we were, um, even though we were doing, you know, we didn't always make the news like everybody else or whatever. I think we were That's the okay. people, I think we were the people's champs. That's it. We were the people's <laughs> champs out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think in the people's eyes, they see not only the essential work um, that we're doing, that, you know, everybody talks about COVID-19 and beyond. Mm -hmm. I think we're the beyond. Mm. Um, um, and I think we're lucky enough to land at a time where we, again, plan for a food hub. And it has been hard to really galvanize people's attention to the need of a food hub. And then the pandemic happens. And then people are like, man, we really should localize our food systems. And I was just like, well, I have a plan for you. <laughs> We've been waiting for this. <laughs> impressive fact, um, we knocked on and fed every household in Nashville Heights during COVID. Wow, that's amazing. So it, 
it's been um, a blessing, absolutely. You mentioned, Sean, how you all are creating a food hub. Can you specifically talk about what a food hub is and what your goals are for this food hub? Yeah, um, just the intersection of people and institutions and organizations um, hubbing together. Um, a situation where you have farmers, you have uh, people with value-added products, uh, people who are in the agribusiness, you have institutions that are looking to engage into community and, you know, make sure that their students have the best intern and volunteer opportunities and why not volunteer in a farm and something that's creating access to food for everyone. Um, you have the general access to food where people can actually just eat and it becomes more than just a place where we can congregate and continue progressing our food access simply in the act of eating, which everyone does. Um, and so a food hub is again, not only that social ground where institutions, community members and um, people can eat, um, but again, it also speaks specifically to the infrastructure uh, we have a farm that is across the street and we have um, five others across um, a two mile radius that can easily have their food accessible from the grocery store and to some of the people who are going to be in the market kitchen or the food court. Um, so you have a system where a seed is growing food is being grown, it goes from the farmer's land to the chef's hand or to the grocer's stand um, and to the, uh, give me another round for home. I was uh, deep through me, y'all. To, the, to the homes, the home pad. It's garden home. Home pad. <laughs> um, so awesome. from the garden, see, I mean, so garden, garden land to, to the, the chef's hand. hand to the home pad, like a pad. You they call the grocery it a grocery stand. All right, so, uh, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> the theme so, everybody eats. <laughs> so, so it's uh, so it's not a, a a a place where again, not only people and 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 um institutions and organizations can find their place to congregate, but it's the end destination of farm to your house or farm to your plate to your to-go carry-out plate or farm to the grocery store. It is the end destination where everything gathers for access and opportunity in agriculture. In agriculture, which will again, as people are eating and meeting, we can do more proceeding bars. That was a good one. You mentioned how you're getting the youth involved in this organization and this mission. I feel like a lot of times in the agricultural community, there's a lot of conversations about how most of the farmers in the U.S. are getting a lot older and there's not a lot of interest in the young generations to become or to enter the agriculture field. What has the response been like of the youth that you work with? And do you see them wanting to get involved in this industry or this field moving forward? Yeah, 
Absolutely. I mean, one of the biggest reasons why we're doing this, I'm an early childhood education uh, degree holding, wielding person, and I do this for the youth. And so uh, the youth are usually like dogs and cats. They come back to wherever you feed them. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Um, like, and I, and, I, and I hate to minimalize it so so much, whatever, but that's such as humans like myself. I'm going to where the food resides. I think where the money resides, where the food resides. Okay, uh, equally important. Um, but, you know, they are not only interested in eating <laughs> a lot, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, but they're interested in good company. They're still interested in outside. Um, you know, we got youth engaged with agriculture with the incentive of bicycles. But bicycles, aka transportation and food go together. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? You got to get to the food. If you're not growing it in your front yard, you got to travel to it. And what's the first piece of freedom as it relates to transportation that youth usually have? It's on a bicycle. You know what I'm saying? So you can you can start talking about the food systems and, and cycles, food cycles um, through those things. So there's a ton of ways. And then with this entire development being so community related, you know, you have different agribusinesses in there. But I think what stands out is with everybody eats is our marketing. Like people begin to understand that marketing, graphics, videography, script, little stories that we get done, or whatever the case, the, some TikToks. I still got to learn how to TikTok. I don't know how to TikTok yet. <laughs> Me too. Um, yeah. So um, recognizing that all institutions and systems spurt off of agriculture. Every business, every practice, every principle has to start with agriculture. That's why your cafeteria, I mean, your school has a cafeteria. That's why your the hospital has a cafeteria. That's why your job has a cafeteria. That's why there's a lot of restaurants by your college. That's why there's restaurants in your college. That's why your church has a, a, a food giveaway in a, in a Sunday dinner mm -hmm. or whatever the case it may be. And that's why you don't run away from home because of dinner. You know what I'm saying? And so it's just like every, everything when you kind of just break it down like that you like anime great so does people who like food <laughs> you know what i'm saying and we need a, a anime style commercial for people who for our poke bowl uh mm -hmm. you know food court restaurant you know what i'm saying yeah. and so yeah um i think they understand it from that way as well uh, we we make sure that they're incentivized by way of you know bicycles and food and more than anything uh, fellowship. Again, they want to be around positive people. They like the concept of having a big brother or a big sister, whatever the case it may be, or whatever the case. You know what I mean? So <laughs> the kids, man, you just got to provide access to 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 these things, and that'd be straight. I also think that. In addition to being around positive uh, environment or positive influence, they like to be around adults who don't tell them to go away. 
um, or to, you know, stay out of grown folks business. Um, that's what I got a lot when I was growing up. And so when they are, when they come into adults or even youth older than them and they get embraced, it's like, hey, you know, what's going on? Or do you want to help with this? Um, I think that is another reason, um, probably a distant second to the food. Um, but another reason they come back because they do feel welcomed, loved on and embraced. Yeah, they're a heart, they're at the heart of every problem that we're going through, everybody's, you know what I mean? And soon they will be responsible, like us, we're responsible for leading this country, this world. Um, and so, and I feel like we, as people on this podcast should be more involved I'm sure we we feel like we need to be more should be more involved, mm-hmm. and we should take that same type of need or want to be involved to begin to even involve them because again they are at the heart of every single problem. So yeah. Over the next five years or ten years, however much you want to give it, where do you picture the neighborhood and what is your vision over the next few years? Yeah, just. Um, engagement and opportunity stemming from this food hub and, op- and, and, and this agriculture system. More people helping out the farms, more students from the Atlanta University Center interning with nonprofit organizations that are centered around youth development and food access and healthcare. Um, a grocery store that is providing food 24 7. And, um, you know, AEC students who come in as freshmen and leave as seniors with a full understanding of how to create food systems in their communities uh, from Morehouse College to Emory. Um, we, you know, look to possibly do it again by another HBCU. Um, you know, we don't, we want, we definitely want to focus on quality again to make sure that we can knock on every door um, before we knock on any more. Um, it's what we're all about. And so, yeah, five years, just not only having this established as a food hub, but a education, a, a, a educational hub for sustainable development for communities uh, of color. Um, but specifically, again, we, we really do roll with the whole everybody. Um, it would behoove everybody because we want to see everybody eat. That ain't a that ain't a cap. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's not a, it ain't a lie. You know what I'm saying? You want everybody to understand, and I think that they do how important it is to you know be involved in your local food systems. And so, if we can be a, a light to that and start in a community where people have the least amount of access, our uh, praises to God. But we're gonna go in that direction. But we already here. I think it's really inspirational to think about this model being replicated in communities all across the U.S. And that gives me a lot of hope. (laughs) And I wanted to ask, how can listeners get involved and support the mission of Everybody Eats? Um, Yeah, uh, we have uh, Instagram. We have a link tree that Megan has put together with all of our uh, links. But the main one is our website, which is www that everybody eats together.com. Again, that is www.everybodyeatstogether.com. Again, that's what we believe. Um, if we eat together, we can achieve together. Um, and you can find us on Instagram at everybody eats ATL. 
If you want to send us a quick donation, our cash app is also Everybody Eats ATL. Uh, we are still raising money for this food hub. We've come a long way and um, we want to do it with the people. I think you mentioned that, you know, it doesn't look like your outside organizations that are helping. No, we, we want to make sure that people understand that this is some neighbors, some natives coming together and making this happen for a community um, project. And we have gotten very, very far. Um, so yeah, please uh, look us up, donate, come out and check us out. We have a social good market that's gonna be coming up. Um, and we are, yeah, we're out here. We have an email, our email. Yes, is everybody eats together at gmail.com. You can utilize that email to just, you know, send us well wishes. Um, or if you want to interview um, or really just learn more about everybody eats, you want to come out and volunteer. Um, or if you want to intern, that is a um, alternate source of communication for us. So again, it's everybody eats together at gmail.com. Great. I'll be sure to link all of those in the show notes so that the listeners can follow along and donate for listeners interested in merchandise. I saw there's some really cool sweatshirts too that people can buy. Megan's repping hers right now. <laughs> and for the last question, before I let you both go, as you know, the name of the podcast is called Hopefully Sustainable. And Based on our entire conversation, I imagine you are giving all of the community members so much hope. And I wanted to know what you both are hopeful about. I am hopeful of people embracing everybody eats together, not just as an organization, but as a lifestyle, as a belief, as a mantra, and as an affirmation that yes, everybody can eat, everybody will eat, um, and we will do that together. Um, my hope is, um, yeah, everybody eats. Was that too corny for you, Jacob? <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Megan and Sean, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and for all of the incredibly impactful work that you are doing in and around Atlanta. I'm extremely excited to see where the mission and where this food hub goes over the next few years. And thank you for being here today. All right, thank you. Thank you Jacob.